There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and wonderful to be back with you for yet another week and I'm delighted today to be talking about what smart leaders know about diversity with my guest today, Dr. Suzanne Doyle-Morris. Um, before we talk to Suzanne, um, I'd like to say a big thank you to John Jennings for joining me a couple of weeks ago to talk about employee engagement. Um, also to Simon Bucknell and Robert Richard Mullinder for the replayed show last week on communication and influence. Uh, the show was replayed due to it being the Thanksgiving public holiday in the United States. So I do hope um, that all of you who celebrated Thanksgiving um, had a great time. So what do smart leaders know about diversity that really sets them apart? And why is it that diversity and inclusion are just such hot topics today? Now, in my home country, in the United Kingdom, you'd only have to open the newspaper or put the TV on or the radio on most days to hear people talking about concerns or issues regarding diversity, whether that be levels of pay, discrimination, too many white males running companies, you name it, the headlines are re- rarely positive. And during the show, I'm delighted to be talking to Dr. Suzanne Doyle-Morris, the CEO and founder of the Influence IQ Institute, which she says creates playful yet thought-provoking tools for inclusive leadership and reducing unconscious bias. Now, I first met Suzanne a few years ago at an event, and I immediately um, was struck by her. I thought, crikey, this is a bright lady, and this has clearly been picked up by the many large companies that she's worked with who recognize the innovation inherent in diverse workforces. Suzanne works at board and executive committee level advising on how to create culture change that leads to bottom line benefits from diversity of thought and what this means for leaders as individuals. Suzanne, as you'll hear by her voice, her accent uh, shortly, is a native of Washington DC. Uh, She now lives in Scotland. Uh, She received her PhD from uh, no less than the University of Cambridge where she focused on the experience of women working in male-dominated fields. Uh, She's the author of Beyond the Boys Club and Female Breadwinners. So a big welcome to Suzanne Doyle-Morris. Thank you, Chris. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hi, thank you. Great to speak to you. Now you've uh, you've certainly not lost your accent, have you? The, uh... No, no. Though it's funny when I go back to the states, people often found, think I sound more British uh, than American anymore. So I've been here eighteen years, very happily, in the UK. <laughs> so, so how did an American end up living in Scotland? So, an American lived in Scotland by essentially finishing um, her undergraduate uh, at a very small uh, college in Maryland and deciding she wanted to see a little bit of the world. So, she thought she'd take a year or two and work in Europe. And 18 years later, she's still here. (laughs) Um, You know how best laid plans are. What is that expression? You know, you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Uh, Or I'd say, tell her your plans, tell it your plans. So, in any case, I'm still here really happily. you know, essentially met my husband and got accepted to Cambridge, both of which were good enough to keep me in the country. And then after that, it was the people themselves uh, in the UK who made me feel very welcome. So I'm delighted to, yeah, to run Inclusive from here and and work with the types of clients I do. Excellent. So I, I guess you know, living over here, that kind of you know, enhances your diversity, really. 
Yeah, it's, true, true. I definitely know what it's like to be an outsider, um, something that I imagine, you know, all to a different extent in different contexts, as we'll talk about in a minute, many of your listeners probably do or have done at various points in their life. And it's those moments which will actually make them better leaders. And it was, was it just sort of intrigued now? Was it those was it those moments and, you know, coming over to the United Kingdom, for example, uh, that's got you interested in diversity and really studying it as a... It's, it's an interesting uh, question because actually if I, if I go back even further, um, I, despite the accent, I actually was born in Australia and lived there as a teenager. And when I was between 14 and 16, we lived in a tiny little town called Alice Springs in the mm-hmm. middle of Australia. Very remote, but I, I found myself constantly an outsider and having to explain uh, America to and all the, you know, all the wonderful things about America but also all the foibles of the country, of any country that you come from. And it's, I often like to say to people, and anybody who's lived abroad will know this is the truth, is that you often learn more about your home country when you're living outside of it, um, you know, and, and how it's viewed and its values, things that you just take for granted. I mean, if you can remember being as a small boy, potentially, the first time you ever go and eat at somebody else's house, and how you realize that the way you do it uh, with your family is not how they do it. And it's not, you know, it's not a hard and fast rule. And you start to realize what it is to be an outsider. And maybe that's where some of the, the interest in diversity uh, came from. But certainly really understanding what is not just my, how is the experience of being an outsider? How does that make me stronger? But how does it give me a perspective that can be valuable to others? Um, and I think that smart leaders know that those are the kinds of people they need to have on their teams. Uh, so you, you, my mind's kind of going back to uh, some time that I spent in Alice Springs. And, okay. And I completely felt uh, just, you know, as an outsider, just as you'd explained. And hmm. there, I remember having a little uh, little jog along, on, along the river, which had no water in it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's always dry. The tide is always dry. <laughs> and then also, I chatted to somebody in a, in a estate agent. No, it wasn't a estate agent. So it was a, it was a sort of a, a booking center uh, for trips and excursions and things and she said she was probably I guess about 20 uh, which is probably why I was talking to her at the time uh, and um, and she'd never been to the sea she'd never seen the sea and I said to her haven't you got you know a dream to maybe leave Alice Springs and see the sea and she said no she said, I want to spend the rest of my life here she said Gosh. Okay. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> but yeah, coming from Washington, D.C. to going to Alice Springs, which while we were there in the 90s actually got its first traffic light, um, you can imagine was you know a real shock to the system. But it's those shocks to the system which makes us all stronger people when we think through, when have I been deeply uncomfortable as an outsider? And how has that made me stronger and more innovative? So, you know, for me, diversity is not... So let me be very clear. Um, while my PhD looked at the experiences of women in male-dominated fields, women as a whole do not make diversity any more than any racial group or disability group or any of those individual groups may mean diversity. Diversity means different ways of thinking. Uh, and those different ways of thinking are most informed by different life experiences. So yes, it is spending time in Alice Springs. It is being the uh, being a, a deeply nerdy girl <laughs> when I was growing up in you know amongst a, a town where sports were the main thing. It's about being uncomfortable and understanding. Okay, I have to get along with these people, and what can they teach me, even if I don't agree with them all the time? And I think that's that's a skill 
that leaders, true leaders of the 21st century will have. So for me, you know, two of the main factors that any leader really should understand that, that are going to drive economic growth in the next, you know, 50 years, but certainly the next decade, are two things. The rise of the emerging markets, which we're all seeing, and obviously the increased financial independence of women. Women have never been such a big consumer group or workforce, and that is fundamentally changing the playing field uh, in, in most organizations. And smart leaders know that they've got to get on board with that and, and understand that just because somebody thinks differently and has a very different experience to me, that in itself is something that will make me stronger as a leader. So what you're saying is with the, the geographical and the, the women um, being more involved uh, with making up a larger percentage of the workforce, mm -hmm. that actually there are opportunities to embrace. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I want to be really clear because people often think, you know, oh, we've got this diversity speaker. And I want to be really clear that this is not about political correctness. It's not about giving women or minority groups an unfair advantage. It's not even about giving men, you know, less of the, you know, a smaller share of the pie. For me, diversity is about creating a much larger and more dynamic pie. Um, and I, I got to be honest, Chris, I do love a good pie reference. <laughs> so, you know, for me, a, a more delicious pie that has more for everyone is better. And companies that can get on, get on board with, how do I serve a Muslim market better? How do I tap into um, understanding uh, what Latin American consumers want? How do I work with women who are increasingly the main earners? How do I understand them better? If those companies that can do that, they will be the winners of the 21st century. Makes it makes a, a huge amount of sense that um, it, it almost feels today with things like social media and you know, technology that, to some extent, we're we're kind of being flung together as well, aren't we? Yeah, certainly. I mean, there's a whole de democratization of information now, and somebody who is perhaps from a group that didn't have as much equal access to um, to media or, you know, as, as loud a voice in the past. Well, you know, they too now have, can have millions of Twitter followers. Um, though there is some interesting feedback that suggests men are more likely to be Twitter fo uh, followed on Twitter, um, even though women are more likely to use Twitter than men. So that's an interesting, you know, just a little interesting factoid to get us all started. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway... Um, so for me, that's you know, for me, that's what diversity is about, really. And and uh, so, are, are there any sort of statistics and things around this that we should be you know aware of around sort of employer and customer demographics and things like that? Which yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, what's really interesting to me. So most of our clients are FTSE 100 companies um, in the UK. Or, you know, they're multinationals, right? And they are increasingly aware of the fact that. If they want college graduates, which most of our clients do, they need to be embracing women at graduate level and at every level subsequent to a much stronger position, um, simply because women are now making up over half of university graduates. You know, uh, women are, even heterosexual women who live with, uh, in, in, amongst couple, in, in a couple, 26% of those women are the main earners. Um, and if you add 
you know, lesbians or single mothers or just single women who are the main, they are by default often the main earner for their family. So this has really shifted. And the 26% I'm really fascinated about because, I mean, when I wrote my, my second book, uh, Female Breadwinners, what was interesting to me was that 26% of women living with men are now the main earner for their family. They out-earn that man. But what's really interesting is that back in 1970, so the beginning of the decade in which I was born, and, and maybe some of, your, some of your listeners, that number was only 4%. Wow. So there's been a six-fold increase just in the time since I and many people <laughs> listening today have been alive, which, you know, I don't have to tell people, you know, that, you're, that are listening, that they'll see the evidence of this all around. Um, you know, women we now know are making 70 to 80% of consumer decisions. And I think what's interesting is we've moved past the point where people used to think they could add pink to a computer or a razor blade and call it the women's. <laughs> Men want, you need to serve what they want um, far better. And that's around services and, and sustainable development and all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, they're making, they're, women are making purchases that are far bigger than just do I want regular or lemon-scented fairy liquid? You know, they are buying cars, financial services products, uh, way increasing on that because they're, they're earning, a, um, earning their own money as well as saving it and investing it in different ways to men in many cases. There are also, there are some statistics that show that women, um, the rise of working women is what has coincided with the rise of mobile technology. So your laptops, your tablets, your uh, rise of mobiles, because women are happy to work, but they can't always do it at a desk. Mm. And we're, as you know, most organizations you're seeing are you know, starting to understand that there's going to be a death knell for presenteeism and being at your desk. And people, both men and women, need to be mobile. Um, and so there's some really interesting evidence that suggests that if women weren't working in the numbers that they were, we might not have seen such a vast uptake of mobile technology. Um, but the evidence does suggest that women are over half of purchasers of any of that kind of technology because they, they need to work on the go because <laughs> societal you know, responsibilities still mean that a lot of caring responsibilities, not but just for children, but also for elder care, you know, still falls predominantly to them. Mm, excellent. There's also the time, it's a bit late at all, but the, you know, the size of things as well, you know, more compact, <laughs> put, a, put a phone in a handbag or... Um, yeah, certainly. I mean, women women want slightly different things. And to be fair, I want to be very clear, I don't any more than you, I don't speak for all women any more than you speak for all men. But what's interesting is, you know, this is not about stereotypes, but there's a huge amount of evidence that suggests there are, you know, female ways of, um, female traits of behavior that are much more common in women and men. But it's more like the 80-20% rule because, you know, not all women agree on things and not all men agree on things. But it is noticing that there are patterns that we see. And if you're a smart leader, you're understanding that that's the kind of diversity you need at the senior levels on your teams, um, not just to make the big decisions as to which markets you go after, um, how you engage with your consumers, how you get your services to market, but also 
how do you inspire and keep the younger women who are joining your organization? Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. Sometimes companies say to us, uh, you know, it's really interesting. Oh, I'll give you an example, legal sector. So we do a lot of work with law firms. And as many people know, women have been coming out of law school in vastly higher numbers than men for over a decade. But most, com most, uh, most law firms are really struggling to get any more than 20% female partners. Um, and, and so what's interesting is they say, well, you know, sometimes people, when they haven't looked at this in any detail, they say, well, you know, but last year we took 60% of our trainees were women. So this is something that will probably write itself in time. But the truth is, most of these organizations have been taking at least 50% least women for many years, and it hasn't righted itself in time. And you have to say, well, what message are those young women, the women that you want to keep at 50-50 to the men, what message are they receiving when they look above them and don't see many women who look like them succeeding? So what are the unspoken messages your organization is sending about success and who succeeds here? Um, that's fascinating to me. You know, what are the unspoken messages? And we can talk about that a little bit more uh, later. But in any case, I mean, you've got you know other things that you want to talk about. So, excellent. Well, I think I think we're probably at about the perfect moment to go to commercial break. Actually, so okay. um, after the break, I'd like to have a little chat with you about bottom line benefits. This sure. is a really embraced diversity. So I think we'll just start on that right yeah. after the break, and then we'll start to get into some of those different components of uh, of diversity and you know how. How smart leaders, some of the things that smart leaders know about it. So we'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes. Do join us after the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one -one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. 
ice is Chris Cooper. I'm with Suzanne Doyle Morris. And do um, do uh, write to me if you have any thoughts or ideas following this uh, this interview. I do love to hear from people, and I do uh, always endeavour to respond. Um, so uh, we were talking before the break, um, obviously around around diversity. And you know, the next sort of question I'd like to ask you, Suzanne, is um, how you know what do you see are the real bottom line benefits for businesses who really do embrace diversity? Okay, so luckily the research is very much on the side of progress on this. So lots of research coming out of everyone um, from major universities, McKinsey's been reporting on this for, for years, shows that the presence of at least three women at board level uh, really pays off dividends in the long run. So everything from return on it, higher return on investment compared to those boards with no women, higher return on uh, on investment in, in equity, higher customer satisfaction scores, higher employee satisfaction scores. Even, uh, interestingly, you're less likely to be audited if you have a CFO who's a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, the governance of boards uh, is, is better. Um, you are, and this is so funny because people say, what is this magic sauce that women are bringing? And I'll be really clear. It's not that women themselves as individuals are any better necessarily at the men around them, but they're just different. They see the world differently in many cases, in which case they just bring that diversity of thought. I, when I speak to some of the, the, the senior leaders, I, I know they say, you know what? They tend to take a longer term view. They think more widely. They see around corners, which is an interesting phrase that I really like. Um, you know, the, the, some, there was some research that looked at why uh, why does the presence of women on boards make such a financial benefit to to organizations? And there were people who actually did ethnographic research where they'd sit in board meetings and they'd watch how women and men interacted. And some of the funny things that they did, and I want to be really clear with you, Chris, it, it wasn't rocket science, but what they noticed was that women on boards were more likely to read their notes <laughs> from the previous meeting. They were more likely to take notes during that meeting. And even the presence of women on the board meant that everybody, male and female, was more likely to attend uh, those meetings, which is crazy. So it's not that women are just better. They're just different, and they bring a diversity of thought. Um, you know, and they help un- help open up and understand new markets. I mean, uh, just a, a very small uh, example. You know, it was it was Muslims on senior leadership teams who helped pharmaceutical companies understand that medications would need to be um, th- that medications would mean, need to be differently timed the taking of them for Ramadan. So oh. if you have a bunch of Christian white men, you know, uh, or or even women sitting around a table trying to think, how do we crack, you know, the North African market? And nobody's thinking, okay, how does the medicate? How does how does taking medication fit within fasting periods? You're never going to get there. Does that make sense? I mean, it's a very small example, but a, an illustrative one, I think, that just shows that the power of backgrounds that are different helps make for round, more rounded decisions. It makes an awful lot of sense. I always remember when I, I studied business uh, many years ago at university, and then, you know, some of the examples, particularly in the marketing textbooks around companies who'd completely uh, messed up advertising campaigns by mm-hmm. not having that insight. The, the one I particularly remember was the, I think it was someone like Procter & Gamble who'd done a, a, it was a, it was it was meant for the Middle Eastern market. It was uh, a soap powder, and they had a, an image of uh, a very dirty boy in his tunic, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, his mum then putting the washing powder into the machine. And the next third of the the picture was a very clean boy in his tunic. But what they hadn't picked up is that in that 
area of the world, people read right to left. Ah, okay, interesting. So it would look like it was coming out dirty. <laughs> <laughs> it got yeah, work. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it's just that kind of insight that helps you think, let's make rounder decisions. You know, and the experience, the, you know, so my company has, has really diversified and we're now building video games to help people practice conversations around diversity and inclusion. And we get people talking in groups and they play in groups and they get to see the ramifications of their actions. Um, so on how they talk about maternity leave or how they talk about flexible working and, and it's fun, which is where we come with, uh, with the playful aspect, playful and thought provoking. But what's really interesting, I, and I think that when you ask about what are the bottom line benefits, you know, there's research that shows that if you work for a manager who values diversity, that is someone who, you know, tries to get you as an individual, those employees actually give more discretionary effort and I can't think of a single business that does not want more <laughs> discretionary effort from their staff, right? Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, one of the statistics that I, I, I talk about, and we do a lot of work around engagement, and I talk about return on engagement, and this is a kind of the same point, and this research yeah. suggests that a, an engaged employee will deliver 43% more revenue. So it's, just, you know, it's the same argument you're making. Actually, if that is, yeah. a, is a different sort of person, you've got to understand them to engage them to help them generate the value. Exactly, exactly. Because, you know, I mean, we were all, and you can think about bosses you've had, you know, a, a boss that fundamentally gets us or it feels like they're trying to get us and they want to understand our point of view, we will all go that extra mile for that person. Uh, and that's just a fundamental. Um, but you will go further for somebody who is is showing that diversity of, of thought and, and appreciation for that. I completely. I, one of the statistics I, I love is... Uh, Research was suggested that 35% of, of, of employees in the U.S. would forgo a major pay rise to see their boss fired. <laughs> so I always say to people, wouldn't you like to be um, somebody whose employees would um, forgo a major pay rise to see you stay? Yeah, 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 that's an interesting one. So that one sounds like a completely different podcast as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we talked about the employee engagement matters with John Jennings the other week. Um, so how, how do you ensure that there is diversity in your organization without being discriminatory to, discriminatory to anyone? Okay, so that's an interesting question um, about discrimination towards anyone because where I often get that question is people say, you know, we know that we need to value women or ethnic minorities, but how do we make sure we don't feel like we're, we're, we're discriminating against white men? And what's interesting is the assumption is that they are not already discriminating. And I say, well, if you have, if you look at your senior leadership and you're happy with the numbers of how people are, then you don't need to ask the question of how are we discriminating because what we see is that most processes, most organizations already are discriminating, yet nobody worries about that. Nobody says, how are we, what is the message we'd be sending to the women or ethnic minorities when we don't do this? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. so, so we worry about the message we will be sending white men. We don't worry about the message that we've historically been sending women or ethnic minorities by not writing these issues. Um, so I think what's interesting is look at the systems you have and make sure that they're fairer for everyone. And what I mean by that is, you know, so, so sometimes people say, um, you know, well, we're equal opportunity employers. 
And, and that may be the case, but you might have to look at what is the difference between being equal opportunity and really going that extra mile or in, involving ourselves in more what we call in Britain positive action, but what's often known in America as affirmative action, to really go further to attract certain people. So, for example, you know, Coca-Cola many years ago, based in Atlanta, didn't, but yet didn't have um, many... Uh, you know, many African Americans in senior leadership positions, and rather than keep telling themselves, where are equal opportunities employers? They started going further and started looking to uh, advertise and recruit more heavily from historically black colleges. Um, they started looking at th what their advertising said, and, you know, and do we have pictures of African Americans enjoying our drinks? Um, if somebody was to go on the Coca-Cola website and start looking at our senior leadership teams, of which there's usually pictures, would they see people like them succeeding? So, you know, what is it that you need to go a little bit further to do to make it really as equal as you'd like to tell yourself your organization actually is? And that, for me, that's the test is, you know, people like to say, oh, we're equal opportunity. But if you don't have, you know, balance and diversity at senior leadership levels, then the question isn't, you know, the question to ask yourself is, isn't, are we biased? But the question is, how are we biased? And all of us, bias is a very human trait. Um, you know, so, so we have to th assume that we're all operating with it to a certain degree. And how do we minimize the processes in our organization that foster the most bias? Mm. I, think, uh, yeah, I think it's very true. I, I always remember, and I think I've mentioned this beyond a podcast before, I think it was with Lenora Billings-Harris, but there was, uh, I once saw a play called uh, Avenue Q, have you seen that one? Yeah, 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 everyone's a little racist. <laughs> yeah, and, and it actually, it, it, you sit there and say, I'm not racist, and you listen to it and think, ah, uh, and you realise that absolutely everybody is a little bit racist too. Yeah, everybody has their own, their biases. own, yeah, their own biases based on how their life has played out. And so I think rather than saying, but I think the companies that I work with that make the progress are those who don't, don't rest on their laurels saying, well, we're all biased, this is human, there's nothing we can do. They start looking at their processes, and that's one of the things my company does is we help them think through their succession planning, for example, or the way they recruit, the way they promote people to make those systems as fair as possible and saying, look, this is, this is true, it's human, but actually, even though it's human, most people do want to get over it in the workplace, know that there's real value in doing so, and are able to make change that minimizes the very human bias that we all have. So don't use it as an excuse for poor behavior. Look beyond that. Yeah, and but I guess it's important to, to kind of think it through rather mm. than just uh, op operating automatically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Get, getting conscious about it and actually thinking it through. There was a, was a big, um, a little bit of uh, an issue locally to where I live in the last couple of weeks, which is quite interesting because we have a, a, a Muslim member of parliament and he got very unhappy about the coca-cola van um sorry lorry coming into town into into leicester okay and he said that he, he didn't approve of it because of uh, it being a sugary drink okay um and uh lots of people then contacted upset because they they were excited about this uh, vehicle coming into town and pointing out how how we how this particular politician had promoted uh, ramadan which was uh, involved giving lots and lots of sweets <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was quite interesting. You found yourself in right at quite a little pickle over it, really. Yeah, I think the key is 
don't back off from the discussion have it and and you know the biggest advice i can give to people is to say is to not not get involved but but say you know what I don't know how things look from your perspective, but I want to understand. Can you explain that? You know, can you explain it to me? There's nothing wrong because we, again, we've all gone further for bosses who don't necessarily pretend to know all the answers, but are actually asking our opinion. Um, you know, so so sometimes when you can take a, you know a humility pill and say, look, I have a different I have a different background, and and I won't get everything right. I won't say everything right. But I, you know, but I am really well intended, and I do want you to help me to understand how this looks from your perspective. Yeah. You would work so much harder for somebody who took that attitude than just said, you know, this is the way things are. Yeah, and be prepared to be vulnerable and be prepared to, I may, you know, I may have got this wrong. Completely, uh, and that is such a rare skill in leadership because you know you often get to the top by pretending you knew everything, but actually. <laughs> You know, as as people on this call may know, the the more senior you get, the often the less the realize the more you realize how little you know, um, and it's in listening to your people that you'll inspire the most loyalty and therefore then discretionary effort from them. Absolutely. Now, uh, when we were were talking and planning the interview, you were talking about to me about uh, mini me's and that, and uh, you know I've, I've noticed this through my my career and I notice this in my work sometimes one of the challenges can be is that when someone's recruiting for a job they're looking for somebody like themselves yeah definitely. How, how, how do leaders um, sponsor uh, someone who doesn't look like a mini me okay so I mean essentially I mean I'll, I'll give you an example do you know how frequently it's a very human reaction to want to help somebody else up particularly a more junior member of staff or a younger person but you're completely right the people that we tend to be drawn to in those situations are people who look very much like us I mean it reminds me I, I don't know Chris have you ever had anybody say to you uh, you know what you remind me of a younger version of myself mm. and and what's interesting to me is that is always almost a compliment. That is never, <laughs> that's never a negative thing because you never hear, and it's always preceded by some help or advice. You never hear anybody say, you know what, you remind me of a younger version of myself and I was a real bastard, right? Nobody says that. <laughs> They're usually about to give you some help. Um, but the problem is you're more likely to do that for someone who looks like you and, 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 we're not going to solve these issues if we don't have more people in senior leadership positions reaching down to people who don't look like them and saying, you know, you remind me of a younger version of myself. So it's about helping the Derricks of the world, you know, reach down to the Shilpas. And, and the truth is, Derek is probably never going to look at Shilpa and say, you know, Shilpa, you remind me of yourself because Derek's wife may have left work when she was in her 30s, so she could help raise their, you know, she could be the primary care for their three children, allowing Derek's career to get on. And that's a, you know, that's a really common model. And there's nothing wrong with it per se. But it does mean that he will look at Shilpa, who may be in her early 30s and has two kids of her own, but she's working full time. He will look at her and not necessarily see himself in her. But we're not going to make any progress on these issues unless we have more Derek's saying behind the scenes, you know what, guys? You know, I know it's a big role, but my money's on Shilpa, and at the moment, that's that's lot that's just statistically a lot less likely. You know, the Center for Talent Innovation um, found that you know what was holding women and ethnic minorities back was not a lack of mentoring, um, which is often lauded as one of the best things you can do for people. It was a lack of sponsorship. That is, people going behind the scenes and saying, 
you know what, yeah, I know it's a big risk, but you know, I'm going to put my, my money on this person and I'm going to help them succeed. That's sponsorship and that's what traditionally we have been more likely to give to people like ourselves. Mm, that makes, uh, makes, it makes a huge amount of, uh, amount of sense. We've just got, um, actually we're pretty much uh, close to commercial break again. So I think what okay. we'll do is we'll uh, have, take a commercial break here mm-hmm. and then I'd like to have a chat with you um, around um, yeah, a few of the concepts that I think are particularly helpful and worth thinking about. One, one I found fascinating our conversation a few minutes ago uh, in a break was about minority positions. So we'll be back with you um, in a couple of minutes after the break. Great. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need, exactly when you need it, so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and if you want to find out more about the interviews that are coming up over the next few weeks and uh, some of the takes that I have from uh, some of the amazing people that we uh, interview on this show, then uh, do go to uh, chriscooper.co.uk and do subscribe to uh, the newsletter there, and we'll just send you occasional mailings uh, giving you um, updated information and the links and that sort of thing. Um, So um, I'm with Suzanne Doyle-Morris, and we were were talking before the break about... uh, um, how sponsors um, don't look at mini, shouldn't look at uh, mini me's. Um, but one of the things that I, an idea that I, I found particularly helpful in chatting with Suzanne 
um, either during a break, I think it was, was uh, she suggested to me that you should put yourself in a minority position to experience being somebody who's on the outside. And Susanna, I wonder if you could just talk about that for a moment. Certainly. So for me, I think one of the, the good, uh, one of the best techniques leaders can do is, well, we know leadership is uncomfortable, but put yourself in a, in a situation where you might be viscerally and physically uncomfortable, which is putting yourself in a situation where you are a visible minority. So that is, if you're white, go to a, an event uh, like I did when I was a child. So, uh, so Chris and I talked about this before. One of the first events I ever remember in my life that made me think about this in a different way was my first invitation when I was about eight years old. I was raised outside, the, uh, outside of Washington, D.C., and I'd been invited to the church of a friend of mine, a girlfriend. Uh, and when my family walked in, we were the only white family in this congregation of about 300 people. They were Methodists. I was a Methodist. But the way they worshipped, the way they sang, the way they interacted was completely different to what I was used to. It was so uncomfortable that I still remember it, you know, over 30 years later. But what was so valuable about it was that it gave me some insight into what that friend must have felt like every day going to our school in a largely white neighborhood. And I think that putting yourself in that kind of position now and again really help builds empathy. And if you can build empathy, you can have better relationships with your customers, your employees, and the people around you who are going to make a big impact on your career and your life in general. You know, I'm also reminded, um, I do a lot of keynote speaking to large corporate audiences. And I remember... Uh, being interviewed um, or introduced before I went on stage once by a CEO of a tech firm and it, his women's network in his organization had brought me in. He walked onto the stage and he hadn't, he'd been waiting in the wings, he hadn't really looked at the audience and I watched him walk into the stage and he looked out to the audience and there was a sea of about 250 female faces all eagerly looking at him with expectation and he his gait actually visibly slowed, and I could see he was very uncomfortable. Yeah. And and he had never thought of the fact that he was leading an organization that was primarily male until he saw only women. And and it was funny because later I talked with him, and he said, "You know what, Susan? I've never been around that many women, and and had to interact with them, and and it was really uncomfortable. But you know what? It made me think about what all of my female sales team." All of the women on my in the coder amongst our coders, what they must feel like going to every conference, every sales meeting, every other thing that we send them on. That I've never thought about what it must feel like for them. Mm-hmm. And he became much more interested in the concept of diversity and how to improve. In this in this case, on gender balance in his own technology firm. But it was really interesting, um, you know, that he hadn't really been in that situation before. So put yourself in that situation. I mean, sometimes I'm sure you've got readers here who have married, maybe married or partnered up with somebody from a different background, either a different race or somebody from a different nationality. And you'll remember that first time you go and and meet your other half's family and they're all talking in a different language, they're eating different foods, and they're talking about you. You can just tell that they're talking about you (laughs) And and how, oh, hugely uncomfortable it is, but it gives you new insight. Uh, and, and that's what's so valuable. So look for those types of opportunities. You know, if you've got a carers network at your organization and you're you're not a parent, go along. You know, see what, what what's on what's on their mind. How do they think about things? 
what can I learn from sitting with people who are fundamentally different to me? Yeah, that's going to make you more more flexible, isn't it? <laughs> if you get used to handling different environments. Completely. And it then makes you more innovative because at your next meeting, you have more than just your own traditional hat on. You're thinking about the way other people see things. And, and that is where the real innovation in organizations comes from. I was a few weeks ago. I was at a. I went to a gardening event. Uh, um, Suzanne, which is very un- unlike me, it was a, a speech by a guy called Chris Beardshaw, who's a, an eight times Chelsea uh, gold medalist, a mm-hmm. garden designer. Mm-hmm. He was actually coming on my show in in January, February, <laughs> and uh, he was addressing a group of probably about 150, 160, mostly female, uh, seventy. Six was probably 60, 70, 80, 90 year olds. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was quite fascinating, sort of seeing you know him, him handling that and how different he was to them. And I mm-hmm. think, uh, and also he had to handle, this will make it make you laugh. Um, the the, the uh, very inarticulate introduction was um, we've now got Chris Beardshaw. Um, we, we hoped to have Monty Don, but we couldn't afford him. So we've got. <laughs> <laughs> And, and to see how he had to deal with that. <laughs> very nice, very nice. So, yeah, I mean, and I think the key here is people sometimes say, oh, I know what it's like to be different. I've, you know, and they name something that is, is a, has been an experience for them, but it may not have been as, as deep as if you are literally somewhere where you are a visible minority, where you not just don't speak the language potentially, but that you look fundamentally different from everyone around you. So that may be gender, that may be ability, that may be race. But when it's so obvious to everyone in the room that you're the odd one out, that's a really unsettling but hugely enlightening experience um, and, and really makes such a, such a big difference. Uh, and you don't need to do it frequently, but do it often enough that it stretches you. Because, you know, as we all know, leadership is just one stretch exercise after another. <laughs> <laughs> with, with, with what you do, I mean, with what you do as well, and, and, and I do too. When you're speaking to audi- audiences, you you know you some, sometimes speak to some very different ones. You know, yeah. primary school children or people who work in a different you know a different sector or a different industry or different. Um, I had a group which was completely global not long ago, and and it's uncomfortable. However, it adds diversity to you, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, adds, adds that flexibility and you it broadens your consciousness I think completely completely so you know that's it, it's just a tip one of the things that I, I think is really important for people to get in the habit of doing what, what examples of of bad practice do you see in organizations and, and how should leaders really take them on and deal with them okay so I think the the main thing I would would love people to listen to leave with I should say is the, the behavior that you, that you walk past, that you ignore on your team, the people that you think, oh, that's just, you know, that's just Derek being an idiot or whatever it is, the behavior you walk past is the behavior you accept. And that sends such a fundamental message, not just to the Dereks of the world as to what they can get away with, but to everybody else who's watching what, you, what, your, what your threshold is for bad behavior. Um, you know, and, and the bad apples, you know, of the organization often are learning by, from what they can get away with at the end of the day. So, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, one of the areas of bad practice I sometimes see is organizations that over-rely on very politically correct PR 
internally and externally, um, in order to say they value diversity, but they don't have action around it. And I'll give yeah. you an example. So I had a, a client of mine several years ago um, where there had been a merger between two companies, and during the merger, uh, one of the companies had a much more um, balanced, gender-balanced senior leadership team. And somehow, uh, in the merger, all of those women lost their senior positions, and they were all taken over by, the, the remaining victors were all men. And what was so interesting is when I talked to, because I often, you know, work with senior leaders on these issues, none of the men had remembered that happening, even though when I, when we talked about who was on the senior leadership team, they could, they could realistically see that that was true, that's who had survived. Um, but every woman, not just of those women who had been demoted by effect, but all the women up the ladder of that organization remembered it very clearly. And part of the reason they remembered it very clearly is because after the merger, the organization sent out a, um, a, a, a kind of an open letter to the, the new company. And one of the things they said was how much they valued diversity and how they were the face of this organization and that, you know, the, the employees should rest assured that they had their best interest in heart. And they had taken a photograph, but in the photograph, there were no women uh, at all. Uh, um, so it's highly, you know, it's highly ironic to receive something in your inbox that says your company values diversity if it's all one type of people. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, so, so it's, it's not over relying on that. People need to see, you know, it's like your relationships, your personal relationships. We need to see action, <laughs> not just a good talking about, um, you know, so I think that's, that's an area around bad practice that I sometimes see. Always ask, what is the message that your behavior sends? Not just what you say, but that your behavior. So if you let somebody get away with, you know, making snide comments or, um, you know, diminishing certain members of your team just because they're a bit quieter. If you let that person who's a high earner, let's say, get away with that, that sends a really loud message to everybody around them. Um, you know, I think other areas of bad practice are, are when I see people say, you know what, we need, um, we're going we're gonna to invest in a women's leadership program. Now, that sounds great on many, on many aspects, but what Managers, it's a really convenient excuse for managers and leaders not to take any responsibility for how do they engage with these women differently? How do they engage with people differently? Because if I send you on a training course to go get fixed <laughs> so that you can work better in my organization, but I'm only sending women, it sends the message that there's something wrong with those women. But there isn't. They're, they just think differently. Um, and you should actually use that as a competitive advantage rather than saying, go and get fixed. <laughs> it's not working together, is it? It's not, it's not, no, it's not, not integrating. No, not in, the, not in the least. What you should do instead is make sure that your leadership and you know, your leadership programs are inclusive um, as, as possible. You know, and that's something we often help a lot of our clients with. And that's how often how we use some of our video games is getting people to think through through, okay, this looks like a discussion about promotion, but how can we be more inclusive of a variety of people when we think through our promotion processes? Mm. One, of the, one, of the, one of my clients has a, a women in leadership um, sort of a program, uh, and uh, one of the things I was sort of saying to them, you know, was you know, are, are men in, you know, involved in that as well? You know, I would have, I would have loved 
in the years when I was working in corporate and managing large teams, you know, not not once did anybody have a conversation with me about uh, you know the best ways to uh, to lead a team which was you know at least fifty percent women. It was never ever ever exactly. discussed and how to how to engage with them. Yes. So so how do I lead that? How do I build that as well? And why should mm. I build it? Um, you know, why should I build a team that's diverse? And then how do I get along with those people in a way that means I'm getting as much out of, you know, the Muslims on my team or the African-Americans or the women or the generation wise or the, or the millennial, whoever it is. Um, and how do I work with them in a way that is unique, uh, for each individual person, but really is as inclusive, um, as possible. I mean, I don't have, you know, I shouldn't, I'm not saying, I, I, women's focus programs are not evil by any stretch, but they give too much of an excuse for people to say, let's get, the, let's just fix the women. And this isn't about that in the least. This is about fixing the organization so that it can be essentially much more, um, much more innovative and take, take advantage of the talents of everybody and the perspective of everybody. Yeah, well, that's, that's what it comes down to. Actually, it comes down to uh, the the actual purpose and the intention of that group, doesn't it? I'm thinking about the situation with the, the client I mentioned earlier, and I think what they're doing is very actually very positive. It's got it's got very high intentions yep. to actually help help that um, that group to you know get to know each other, to um, to to elevate themselves, to to learn, to build a community. I think that just the key things we said it needs to also allow other people to be part of that too and and uh, because of the diversity so i suppose it depends upon that um what we know the basis that it's, it's built upon but we've got only just got a uh, another sort of minute or two left uh, now suzanne so i just wonder if you've got any final messages that you'd like to leave us with yeah i mean i think what i would say you know overall is the future is going to belong to people who can get along equally well with single working mothers or remote workers in india or a boss who actually lives in mainland China. <laughs> that is the 21st century. You know, to succeed in this rapidly changing world, you know, we're going to have to move past our personal preferences, our assumptions about what good looks like, and our unconscious biases. And, and that's the only way you're going to get diversity of thought. Um, so, and, and what's you know more important is really that people who get this, they will, white men included, they will be. The, you know, the leaders of the 21st century, because they'll have this as a competitive advantage. Brilliant. Well, it's, it's an absolutely fantastic talking with you today, Suzanne. And I think you've really painted, uh, you know, a fascinating picture and I think helped people understand uh, the you know, diversity. And, you know, to me, it sounds like if people are wanting to develop and their diversity and their strategy around it and to build a diverse organization you seem to be a fantastic person to <laughs> talk with so uh, thanks thanks i hope you've been enjoying being on today yeah thank you very much chris have a wonderful weekend thank you and so if you want to find out more about dr suzanne Dor morris and includes iq <laughs> includes iq.com uh if you have any questions or feedback on the show please send it send uh, that to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk on next week's show we have stephen gaffney who's a, a leading expert on on change and honesty and communication um he's a, a fascinating individual he's going to be talking about how to be a change champion um, i think he'll also be um interesting too you know he had went through considerable change himself uh, as a young age he could not speak due to hearing impediments and he now has been on a remarkable journey as a top um, business person uh, speaker internationally 
and thought leader. So do join us next week to uh, work out how to be a change champion. And once again, a big thank you to Dr. Suzanne Dorn-Morris. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.